You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, Genesis 19 is where we're going to be. Genesis 19 this morning, and... uh, well, I know, I think probably all of us have, we know somebody that was, seemed too far gone. And I'm grateful for God's grace and that he can reach us where we are. And somebody in this room, maybe, you were there. And you were like that prodigal son in the very bottom. I mean, you reached bottom, bottomed out, and yet God could reach you there too. I'm grateful for that. Genesis 19, we're going to be here this morning. Let me just say, you know, it's been a great song service. We've had... I mean, just the, the songs about being redeemed, saved by the blood, I stand redeemed, the old rugged cross, you're still reachable, so encouraging and, and, and inspirational and positive. And then we come to Genesis 19, where we'll be this morning. And while it's a tough passage to get through, there are some helpful things here. But this is the story of Sodom and, and Gomorrah, basically, Lot in Sodom. And uh, this story is more infamous than it is famous, but it's well known. I mean, Hollywood has even discussed the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're not going to even try to get through the whole passage this morning uh, because there's an element I just want to focus on today. But uh, there is something here that I think could help us. Last time we were in Genesis 18 and, and it was Abraham and he was the friend of God and he was going to God on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. And by the end of chapter 18, uh, God said, if, you, if I find 10 righteous people in Sodom, then I will, I will spare that city. And that's, that leads us right to Genesis 19. So let's stand together and read these first 14 verses. Genesis 19. The Lord again had agreed to spare Sodom if he found any righteous, 10 righteous. And uh, we're going to find out soon that there weren't even that many righteous. Look at verse 1, Genesis 19. It says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early, and go on your ways And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house around, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. They have terrible intentions. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. And in one of the saddest verses of the Bible, he says, Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee 
than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand, the angels did, and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door, shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides? Son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. I'm not sure there's a, in my opinion, a more, just a more terrible, sad, disgusting chapter in all the Bible. And, and yet, it's there for a reason. It's here because there's something we can learn from it. And uh, there's so much to cover. I'm going to focus, though, on the effects that Lot's surroundings had on him. It's truly heartbreaking. And I'm calling this message, this is a play on words on purpose... How to get in a lot of trouble. How to get in a lot of trouble. And I hope it helps us remember the spiritual disaster we face when we look the wrong direction. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your help this morning. I know that you want to speak in a special way. You want to use this passage to change us and help us and help us to be more like you. And I'm thankful for it. But Lord, I pray that you'd help me as I navigate these verses to do so and with a spirit of grace and yet a spirit of truth. Lord, I pray that you would receive the honor and the glory from everything that takes place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> a, couple, a couple of weeks ago, as many of you remember that we're here on a Sunday night, one of my good friends, Tad LaGrosse, he's a pastor, Leavenworth, Kansas. He preached in our service. And uh, when, I was, when we were much younger... Um, he had a lot more hair and I had a lot less gray hair at that point. I was in his wedding. And so my wife and I, it was when, before we even had children, we were leaving from Oklahoma and we were going to Indianapolis, Indiana, where he got married. And, uh, so we took I-44 up through Missouri and we got to St. Louis. And if you, anybody ever driven through St. Louis before, okay, then you probably know where this is going. Um, because we got to St. Louis and, and, and uh, I somehow got on the wrong freeway, and for two hours I drove north instead of east, and I was heading up in Illinois towards Chicago instead of east toward Indianapolis. Two, I don't even know how that happened. Today my phone would be telling me how dumb I am before that goes that long. But for two hours I was driving the wrong direction. And, and I, when I realized it, the first thing I'd wanted, I wanted to do as a man was not accept responsibility. <laughs> so I looked at my wife. I told her it was her fault. I said the signs weren't clear, whatever it was. But, but I had to eventually come in humility and admit that I had made the mistake. And what happened was, while we were driving through St. Louis, if you've ever been to St. Louis, what's, what's the landmark St. Louis is known for? It's the arch, okay? It's a giant arch and it's, it's an amazing thing to, th- to, to see and, and, I mean, architectural, really a, a marvel. And uh, as we were driving through St. Louis, when I went back and thought about how I got lost, it's because I was looking at the arch. 
I was driving and looking at the arch, and my wife will tell you that's how I am. I'm driving. I want to see everything. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about a self-driving car because I, I, I like to look at stuff. And I was looking at the arch the whole time and just trying to take it all in. And in looking at the arch, I went the wrong direction. And you know, it's a, it may be a little bit of a silly story to start with, but there's a spiritual truth there, and that's this. It's easy to end up in the wrong place if you're looking in the wrong direction. And my, my, uh, my son, and my, my wife and I, we like to jog. We've been trying to really get back more into it um, this summer. And, um, and, and so we've been jogging. Sometimes we'll take our son, Jace, and Jace is eight years old, and he likes to ride his bike. And, of course, we're slow. And he's on his bike, and he wants to go fast. So we go down to the bike trail, and he drives ahead of us. And, and every 30 seconds or so, we, we tell him, you stay on this side, you stay against the edge, you don't get in the middle, and we want you to look back and check. Every 30 seconds, every minute, we want you to look back and just make sure that you're not getting too far ahead of us. And I think it's hilarious because we'll be running about like this. We're running, and Jace is on his bike, and he's going fast. And every once in a while, he turns around to look at us. And when he does that, guess what he does with his handlebars? He turns and veers off course. So we made a rule and said, if you're going to turn around and look at us, you have to turn over your right shoulder so that you at least end up in the grass and not in the way of somebody else riding. Every time, you, you, why? Because your body follows your head. Where you're looking is where you will end up. And we see that very clearly in the life of Lot right here in Genesis 19. Because this is a story of a man that ended up in the wrong place because he was looking in the wrong direction. Lot's story really seems to have begun well. I, we could go back. We're not going to look at it. We've preached through all of this. But back in Genesis 11, he had moved from the Ur of the Chaldees with his uncle Abraham. And, and even though he was following Abraham, uh, we, we have lots of evidence to say that Lot likely and did have his own genuine response of faith to God. He, in 2 Peter 2, it says, uh, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said that Lot was a just man and a righteous man. So this is a man of faith. This is a man, I mean, it's hard to reconcile that when you think about what he does in this chapter. But the Bible calls him just and righteous. Who, who are we to say that he wasn't? Somewhere, though, along the way, he got mixed up. When he first followed Abraham to Canaan, we also know, we looked at this, there was a famine in the land. And Abraham looked, where did you remember where Abraham looked to go to, be, to sustain him during the famine? He went down to Egypt. Well, guess who he took down to Egypt with him? He took his nephew Lot. And they went down to Egypt, and it was a low spiritual point for Abraham because he didn't trust the Lord for provision. And so he takes his nephew Lot. They go down to Egypt, and things get mixed up there. But when they come back from Egypt, the Bible says that, that both Abraham and Lot had flocks and herds and tents and substance, and the land wasn't able to bear it all. They went to Egypt and they came back very, very wealthy. There was a fight between Abraham's servants and Lot's servants and over space to feed the animals. And Abraham in that moment was the older, more mature person. And he let Lot have his first choice. Look over at Genesis 13. I want to see this process take place. Genesis chapter 13. It says, and this is after the fight, after they realize there's not space for all their animals. Genesis 13 verse 10 Abraham said, you go wherever you want to go. And look what, what Lot does. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. 
that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as, look, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. When Lot was looking around to figure out where he wanted to go, he sees these well-watered plains of Jordan, and they look like Egypt. Some seeds had been planted in Lot's, in Lot's heart, the, his time in the world. By the way, remember, who is this written to? This is written to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and being, getting ready to take the, the promised land of Canaan. And, and, and so God is letting them re, be reminded that Egypt is of the world and Egypt is a type of the world and Egypt shouldn't sh- sustain God's people. That's not where we should be looking for help and yet um, Lot did that very thing. He remembered the good life back in Egypt. He remembered all the stuff they had. And he looked at this place that was toward Sodom. And it's like, that reminds me of Egypt. It reminds me of the world. And that look, it all started with a look, folks. That look, it began a downward spiral. And the next verse, look at verse 12. It says, and Abram, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward where? Toward Sodom. So first he looked at Sodom, and then he lived near Sodom. And you might think, well, what's the problem with that? Well, look at the next verse, verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. If Lot is a righteous man, I just have to ask this question. If Lot's a righteous man, what's he doing pitching his tent towards Sodom? It's full of wickedness. It's full of wicked people. So he looks at Sodom and then he's living near Sodom. And then we come to Genesis 14. And in Genesis 14, it gives the account. Remember the bully kings that were walking through the, the, uh, the land of Canaan and taking captives? Well, they come to Lot and they take him captive and they carry him away. Look at Genesis 14, verse 12. We see another step. And it says, they took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt where? In Sodom. And his goods... And departed. So, what began as a look, Sodom's looking toward the well watered plains. Then he pitches his tent toward the well watered plains of Sodom. And then finally, when we get to Genesis 14, he's literally living right in the middle of Sodom. Step by step, he's taking one step, one step closer. And by the time we get to Genesis 19, the migration is complete. Look at Genesis 19, verse 1. Back over to Genesis. Genesis 19, verse 1. It says, and there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, the phrase means more than this is just where he was sitting. No, that, that phrase, it's an Eastern expression, and it means that Lot was a civic leader in the city of Sodom. The gate of the city would have been where somebody like the mayor would sit. Where somebody like that, that's on the city council would sit. So the gate areas the ancients of an ancient city like that would be like the town hall. It's where the important men of the city, where they presided over civil matters and where they discussed business and where they monitored who came and went. And this is where we see the first thought in this text. You know, Lot looked and then he pitched his tent toward. He, he leaned and then he lived in. And now he's just all the way in, all in, in Sodom. He jumps in with both feet. He saw those well-watered plains. He saw the prosperity. And he wanted the good life. 
And rather than seeking first the kingdom of God, like we talked about last Sunday night, Lot moved himself and his family into Sodom because he wanted stuff like he had received back in Egypt where he got a taste for the wealth and he got a taste for the influence and he had the notoriety and the stuff that the world had to offer and he couldn't get the taste off of his lips. Like a dog who's tasted blood and you think you can cure him of it and you just can't. Now, I don't want to pretend Lot had no good motives, I don't think that he, even though he wanted to get something out of Sodom, I don't think that, that he thought uh, that it was just all impure. I, I would imagine that Lot, if he's a just and a righteous man, I would imagine that he thought, I can go to Sodom and I can make a difference. I, I, he's watching Abraham build his altars and walk with God, and he's thinking, well, they need God. And he justifies his decisions by saying, I think I could probably go make a difference. I'm not saying that Lot had none of those thoughts. I'm just saying it always sounds great when you think that. But when you get right in the middle of it, you realize that the influence is a lot stronger on you than you are on it. Lot's in Sodom. And and there's something about, as these angels come to visit him, there's something about the urgency that's unsettling. It's obvious he knows there's danger. When he says, he said in verse, verse 2, Behold now, my lords, turn in. I pray you into your servant's house and tarry all night and wash your feet. You shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the streets. Can you imagine what it would have been like? Lot was probably like, he's looking out the door and he's saying, Hey, you guys, come in. Come in, come in here. I'll feed you. You can sleep here. And he's looking around. I mean, there's an urgency about what he's doing. He said, You can leave real early in the morning. And they, 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 that should have been an indication that he knew something was up. There's some danger there. So they come in, he feeds them, they sleep, and, and they've got a place to stay. But, be, but before long, his behavior makes more sense. Because in verse 4 it says, But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round both old and young, all the people from every quarter. You know what that means? That every man... The indication is that every man in the city of Sodom came banging on Lot's door. Young and old, from every quarter, all of them. It's not a welcome wagon. They come and make their intentions known. And that Sodom was a place of wickedness. And the practice of sodomy, which is sexual relationship between those of the same gender, it was named after this city. In the Old Testament, and let me clear, just to clarify this, The Old Testament and the New Testament are both clear that homosexual relationships are are not acceptable to God. I know it's Pride Month and I know that seems like hate speech. It's not hate speech. It's actually God's standard of righteousness. The Old Testament explicitly states, we were in Leviticus 20 in Sunday school, if a man also lie with mankind as he liveth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. In the New Testament, I could read Romans 1 about how through the lust of their own hearts they dishonored their own own bodies between themselves. It says, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile infections, for even their women did change their natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was meet. I mean, you look at the language of the Bible because a lot of people will say, well, you know, that's old, the law has passed away and Jesus didn't deal with it. No, the Bible uses language like abomination and dishonor and vile affections and against nature and unseemly and receiving the recompense of their error. It is absolutely clear if you read the scripture, there should be nothing proud about a month like June. 
Pride Month, really, it should, it, it's not a matter of pride. It's not something to be happy about. There's no doubt about God's position on this type of sexual sin and anything. And folks, before we, before we get too puffed up, I'm just anything outside, any sexual relationship outside of a one-man, one-woman marriage is sin against God. Anything. So for us then, we've got to look at this situation here and know that it's not just a matter of us condemning somebody's lifestyle. No, this is a standard that God has set. And therefore, as God's people representing him in a culture where you won't hear this talked about very much, we must declare what is righteous. Not to mention the fact that in this story itself, the men of Sodom were not just looking to have relationships. They were looking to abuse Lot's guests. So, and on top of the sexual sin, there's also violence. And what's Lot's response? Well, we might think, well, he's a just man. He's a righteous man. And he's probably going to let them have it and let them hear about it. Well, no, one word really clears up whether or not he's going to say what he should. It says, Lot went out, verse 6, at the door unto them and shut the door after him. And look what he says. And I said, and said, I pray you, what's the next word? Brethren. Do not so wickedly. In case you're wondering whether or not Lot's heart is all the way migrated into the the city of Sodom, the fact that he's calling these men that have compassed his house about and are looking to abuse his house guests, he's calling them brethren. That should convince us that he's made the migration complete. Verse 8, it says, Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do you to yet to do ye to them as is good in your eyes, only unto these men do nothing, for they therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And listen, I know Eastern hospitality, it would have been very important to protect your guests and at all costs, you're, you're supposed to be hospitable. But listen, to offer your own young virgin daughters as replacements is as deplorable and disgusting an act as I can think of in all of scripture. I've got four daughters of my own and I can't even imagine making a decision like that, making an offer like that, but that's how far he's gone. They say, stand back. They tell him, you came into our city. So you're no better than us. He said, who are you to judge us? We're going to deal with you worse than we deal with them. What an indictment. Lot had placed his faith in God. Yet the culture saw no difference between him and them. Look, I believe in showing and extending grace to people. And I want to say this with as much passion and compassion as I have. We should show grace. Jesus Christ did. But Lot had obviously never confronted the people that lived in his neighborhood and in his city about their sin. He was just their friend. He just acted like everything was all right. And rather than tell them that God is a judge and that they were, they were involved in unrighteousness, he just lived his life as if nothing was wrong and the, those actions all around him were just fine. No, God's people, friends, we must find a balance between grace and truth. And I've said it before, we should love people enough that we don't simply accept where they are if where they are puts them at risk for judgment. In the same way that I say, yes, I love my son, but if he's playing in the street and a car comes, I will in no way hesitate to say, Jace, watch out! Because I love him. And we think that tolerance is love. 
That's what the culture says. Intolerance says accept people where they are. But that would be like me saying, well, I love my son. I tolerate him. He's playing in the street and he's in danger, but I love him too much to yell at him. Makes no sense. Tolerance accepts people where they are, but love loves people so much they don't want them to stay where they are. We want them to to come to God in, in, in humility and experience his grace. That's the way that we should be treating those around us. Not with hatred, but with so much love that we can't help but give him the message. And here's Lot, even if he wanted to give the message, they wouldn't have heard it. These angels, they supernaturally overpower the men. They pull Lot back in and then they smite them with blindness, which I think is a a symbol of just the, the, the fact that it was the lust of the eyes and it was just so consuming to them. The men then warn Lot. They say, get your family out. So he goes and he tries to talk to his sons-in-law and his family and they just laugh at him. What we need to learn you know, this, from this is that God doesn't take open wickedness of sin lightly. He judges it. The soul that sinneth it shall die, and the wages of sin is death. And that's just the truth. And you'd think that Lot, Mr. Just, Mr. Righteous, would have known God doesn't simply overlook sin. Sin. He didn't, just, he didn't look, overlook it for Sodom and Gomorrah. He will not overlook it for the United States. He will not overlook it in your life. And we're not in our country in any better of a position as a country than Sodom was. And look around at what's being celebrated. And thousands of years later, mankind still ignores the judgment of God. The issue isn't, is there enough wickedness? No, the issue is, are there enough righteous to hold the line? Because in Sodom, there weren't. But I think in the United States of America, America, I, I hope there still are. I hope there are still people in our country. And listen, you say, yes, we might deserve God's judgment. We might deserve God's wrath. But there's a lot of people still that love God and love his righteousness and will stand up for God in the face of sin. And listen, we need to make that decision. Our country, it will not be preserved much longer if there aren't any righteous to be found. God would have spared Sodom for ten Based on that precedent, we have to pray there are enough still holding the line here. And in Genesis 19, Lot certainly had not influenced enough people to preserve his city. But here's the thing. We'll come now into the, the crux of the thought here today. I know Lot was in Sodom. But that wasn't really the biggest problem. The biggest problem was the fact that there was too much Sodom in Lot. See, here's where we come down to it today, is that our problem is not just the fact that we live in a wicked culture. I mean, that's where we live. It's, it's the fact that too many, though, of God's people have allowed the culture to live in them. Jesus said in John 17 to his followers, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Jesus Christ himself said, it's not that I'm going to, you know, if you're a child of God, then you just need to get away. No, he said, they're not going to be out of the world. That's where they live. It's not that I want to get them out. I just want to keep the wickedness out of them. D.L. Moody said, Christians should live in the world, but not be filled with it. A ship lives in the water, but if the water gets into the ship, she goes to the bottom. So Christians may live in the world, but if the world gets into them, they sink. And it's not that we're in the world. That's where we live. The problem is when the world gets in us. 
Lot had a taste of the world's offerings in Egypt and he wanted more of it and he couldn't look past it. And I believe that far too many of God's people are spiritually sinking because being in a culture, in this culture, has left us with too much of the culture in us. Instead of being the influencers, we've become the influenced. The water's in the boat, friends, and we're sinking. And we're entertained by, by the culture, which includes far too much normalizing of things that we should never even think about. We spend our free time being influenced by it, which presents countless uh, ideas that go against God. And we strive for rewards of the world's making. We're looking at what the world has to offer, thinking that's better than what God has to offer. We, and we base our success on the definitions of our culture, on ri- riches and influence, rather than what God wants for us. And every decision, let me remind you, every decision is affecting somebody else. I mean, Lot didn't just affect himself with his move. No, he had sons and he had daughters and sons-in-laws and his wife. And they were all being affected. And as we, as we let the culture get in us, our children are watching it. And what we're, we're doing in moderation, you've heard it before, they will someday soon be doing in excess. Lot's trouble began when he looked and he started longing. Second Peter, he said, Lot was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them. Look what it says. Think, here it is. In seeing and hearing. So Lot lived there, but he was looking at it. He was hearing it. He was influenced by it. And it vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He looked and he listened and it cost him everything. That's why John wrote in 1 John, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, uh, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Listen, the moment, friends, and we're coming down to it, the moment we set our affection on anything other than Jesus Christ, we will quickly find ourselves going the wrong direction. Like Jason on his bike, the world, we look at it, and pretty soon, where are we headed? You know, your affection affects your direction. Your affection affects your direction. Lot's look led to a leaning. He looked, he saw the well-watered plains, and then he pitched his tent. He was leaning that direction already. He went from the well-watered plains to pitching his tent. And listen, I know this sounds like an old-fashioned message. Let me just stop and say that. You know, this is the kind of stuff you heard way back when. No, listen, the urgency of resisting worldliness, it must be a big deal because it's all through the Bible. And the only hope our world, friends, the only hope our world has to be preserved from judgment is if people like the ones right here in this room say, no, the boat's in the water. That's where I live. I know, but I can't allow water in the boat. For our family, we're keeping the water out of the boat. You say, I live in Sodom, maybe, but I refuse to allow Sodom to live in me. And it says, I'm in a wicked culture, but I won't let the culture get in me. We have to have dads and moms and sons and daughters and friends and neighbors and co-workers that resolve to do that. But instead, there are many of God's people, they're in a lot of trouble. And it starts with a look. The world is alluring, I'm telling you. Just watch the commercials. Look at the billboards. Just yesterday, we were driving through town doing some camp errands before we leave. And and there's a truck. 
I think it was Friday, there's a truck, and on the, it's, it's a, you can rent this truck and just advertise your business on it. It's got two giant screens in the front, one on the back, it's a box truck, and they just drive around and play loud music because they want you to look at the advertisement on the truck. And I thought, that guy was in there drinking a Sonic drink or something. It's like, that's a good job right there. All you do is drive around. But you know, that's a picture of what the world tries to do, tries to, do to us all the time. Literally, he gets paid to drive around and just get people to get it, give him their attention and maybe hope that they'll follow that attention into the store that he's advertising. And it always starts with a look. And it affects what we love. And that look, it leads to a leaning. Forgive me, Dr. Hardy, for this alliteration here. The look leads to a leaning. You know, you look... And if I look this way, my body leans that way. And I start, that look leads me to go in a different direction. And, and I can't look without it affecting my direction. And, and as, I'm, as I'm thinking in my heart, so, so am I. And as I look at what the world has to offer, it affects my heart. And that affects my behavior. The look leads to a leaning. And the leaning becomes where you live. He ended up in Sodom. And you might not be condoning the behavior, but you're overlooking it. And you strive for influence without truth. But love means you're not willing for someone to risk judgment without saying something. And yet how many of God's people are living where they are without warning anybody around them? If Sodom is in you, you'll be more interested in being friends than warning people about what's to come. And then pretty soon, before long, the look turns into a leaning. The leaning becomes where you live. And where you live, that someday, very soon will become what you're loyal to. Lot was invested. He was sitting in the gates. His loyalty should have been to God. But his look became a lean, which became a lifestyle, which eventually made him loyal to a culture that despised God. Lot's loyalty showed up when he tried to hide the angels from danger rather than dealing with the root problem. They came to him to seek shelter, and he's looking around saying, come on in, trying trying to be covert about it. His loyalty started showing up then. And then his loyalties really showed up when instead of protecting his home, he offered his children to these men to abuse however they saw fit. If you become, friends, listen, if you become loyal to Sodom, you'll not only lose yourself, you'll put everyone around you at risk. I'm sure Lot never dreamed he would say something like that. He never dreamed he'd be in that position. But friends, parents, it will affect your families. Your desire to have what Egypt offers will cause you to compromise in ways you never thought possible. A job promotion can't become bigger than a good church, parents. Sports can't become bigger than serving the Lord. School activities and music practices and music lessons and even grades at school can't become bigger than God in your life because it will turn your children's heart for what they should be focusing on to things that will pull them away. What entertains us can't be more important than the spiritual well-being of our own children in our own homes. If you're looking at the world, you won't live for the Lord. You'll soon be doing things you never dreamed of. And it all starts with a look and a lean and love and living and loyalty. And how many of God's people have been casualties by this very process? Sodom still entertains us. 
It determines our commitments. It determines our priorities. And it makes our decisions for us. And we laugh at its jokes. And we're engaged in its conversations. And we're buying into its messages. And soon we find ourselves loyal to its positions. And compromising in areas we would have never dreamed. And that's when you find yourself in a lot of trouble. What kind of trouble? Well, you live for the same goals as the world. You find yourself adjusting your values to fit in with the world. You're more concerned about status than you are your family. The world stops respecting your beliefs. And the biggest one is this. You put yourself at risk of God's judgment. Well, that's not trouble I want to mess with. Listen, I know it's not a popular message, but God is still holy and we are still sinners and his judgment is still real. God is still holy, we are still sinners, and his judgment is still real. And that, but that's not the end of it. A lot of I'm fire and brimstone Baptists, man, we might preach that and stop there. But I'm telling you, God is also still a God of grace. And that final truth is there is a way to escape judgment. And that is you come to the end of yourself, admit you're a sinner, and you admit that you have no chance to make it to heaven or please God on your own. You humble yourself and you look to the cross and accept the payment that he made for your sins in your place on the cross. And by faith, without a work, without baptism, without anything else anybody can see, faith in Christ alone. And God will say, okay, you were a sinner. You still are a sinner, but my son paid for your sin and you can come spend eternity in heaven with me. He's holy, we're sinners, there's still judgment, but there's a way to escape it. Do you realize this whole story is God extending grace and mercy to, know, to Lot? Seeking him? You might say, well, this is just a message of hate this morning. No, it's a message of love. That God would come and think about it. The fact that he smote those men with blindness should have caused them to think, okay, this is something different. I may want to ask Lot about this. They should have been seeking God. A God who would do that or could do that to them, they should have thought, boy, I want to know that God. Listen, you can make the choice today to avoid God's wrath by looking at what God offers rather than what Sodom offers. Let me just tell you what it is. God's rewards are eternal. Sodom's are temporary. God's blessings are good for us. Sodom just wants to take advantage of us. Bigger than that, God's blessings are way better than God's judgment. Way better. And that truth alone should make us reconsider where we're looking. What we need to do is not just look at the benefits of Sodom, but imagine the judgments of God. Listen, this is a good exercise to visualize the end of where you're looking. Young people, teenagers, and children, they're not very good at this. It's a sign of maturity that you make decisions not about what feels good in the moment but how it looks in five years or in 10 years. It's visualizing the end. And so parents, listen, dads, you should think this. No, yeah, if I take this job, think about what it does to my bank account numbers. Wow. No, think about what it does to my children. If I choose soccer practice over church, what message do I send them? If I compromise on this standard, where does that lead? If I make this one exception, what might it cost me? In the end. And if only Lot could have fast forwarded to this moment and compared what he had with Abraham. Yeah, yeah, they just had tents. But boy, when Abraham built an altar and worshiped and God met with him, 
you would have to think if Lot in that moment when in Sodom could have visualized this. He thought, well, I had, I had God, I had relationship, I had faith, and I had Abraham, and things were good, and I didn't have all the stuff. But if he could have in that moment on the mountain looked ahead to the moment in Sodom and thought, okay, this is what it looks like at the end, then maybe up on the mountain he would have looked somewhere else. And we need to get to the place where we don't just look at what's in front of us, we look at where it leads. That should be our practice. Compare what you gain with the Lord to what you'll lose in Sodom. Blessings, you want blessings or you want judgment? You want peace or you want turmoil? You want eternal rewards or you want temporary riches? You want a good testimony or you want no influence at all with the lost? You want a family that pleases God, or do you want a family that couldn't care less about God? The list could go on. The point today is it's easy to end up in the wrong place if you're looking in the wrong direction. And if you're looking at the world, you won't end up living for the Lord. Let me close with some questions. What are you looking at? Your focus determines where you end up. Where's your focus today? Second, what effect is the culture having on your spiritual life? What's it look like at home right now, parents? How, do, what, how does it look in the way you allow your children to dress? Or what entertains your family? Or what they listen to? Third, what effect are you having on your culture? See, God puts you here and now to make a difference. Possibly to pull some out of the fire. And yet, if we're just like the culture, they won't listen to a word we say. Fourth, would you say that the Lord or the culture has daily more influence on your life? Parents, are our families really better off buying into Sodom? I think it's time to shift our focus how to get out of a lot of trouble. Okay, let's say it positively. This needs to be more positive. So how do you get out of a lot of trouble? Well, if you want to end up in the right place, you got to start looking in the right direction. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jeremiah 29, ye shall seek me and ye shall find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. James chapter 4, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You know how you get back to the right place? You start looking in the right direction. And it's time for somebody in here this morning to say, my eyes have gotten off. I drove through and I was looking at the arch and I ended up in the wrong place. And it's time today to realize that if you don't look in the right direction, you're not going to end up in the right place. But if you do look in the right direction, you can end up in the right place. And that direction is up. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Maybe it's time for some of us to go back to where we're looking. And that will affect our leaning That will affect where we live, and that will eventually change our loyalties, just like it did for Lot. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. It's a serious message, and it sounds hopeless. But friend, I'm telling you, this is full of hope today. You have hope. And and you may be looking in the wrong direction, and it may be affecting you, and it may be affecting your family But you can make a change today. 
And you can, rather than focusing on yourself or focusing on your job or focusing on school or focusing on sports or focusing on entertainment or focusing on money or focusing on that new car, focusing on that new relationship or that friend that's not going to help you, it's time to focus on the Lord, to refocus ourselves where our eyes should be pointing. Today, listen, that look will change everything. And maybe you've come in here this morning and you say, well, I don't know where I will end up, but I don't think I've ever even started with a look to God. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. And you're a sinner and you deserve judgment, but Jesus Christ paid for your sins. If you will accept by faith that this morning, then you can be on your way to heaven. I'm telling you, when you look to Christ, that affects where you end up. It affects where you end up in heaven. Today's the day. Maybe, Christian, you've been looking at the wrong things and your focus has been off. Well, why don't you reevaluate your focus and let's look back to Jesus Christ. Father, pray that you'd have your will and way this morning. Use this message in our hearts to change our direction in Jesus' name. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.